Hello, and welcome to the New Hope Church podcast. You're listening to our series, Sticks and Stones. Don't forget to check us out online at www.newhopechurch.tv and follow us on all social media at New Hope Church TV. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy. New Hope Church is so good to be with you. Um, I'm really excited to be able to teach you out of the Word of God. I just, my prayer is always that you leave empire, inspired and encouraged to know Jesus more, to follow Jesus more. And uh, today is our fifth part of our series, Sticks and Stones. We've been in the book of James, and I'll tell you this about James. James is a brother of Jesus, and he's tough as nails, just like Jesus. In fact, he gives us some real hard truths today. And, and it, I mean, he just like, gives us some gut checks. It feels like you're almost in a fight when you're reading these words. And so what I want to do today is I want to teach you how to fight, not just the right way, but to fight righteously, God's way. Truth is, I believe all of us here in church today, we've all been in a fight in some shape, way, or form. You may have been in a fight on your way to church. Just saying, that happens. Uh, maybe it was in traffic. Maybe it was the, with the people in your car. I don't know. Um, think about this for a moment. What comes to your mind when you think about a fight? Are you one of those people behind a computer and you're fighting, tweeting? Or is it politics? Is it family? Is it finances? Truth is, until you and I are confronted with something that wants to take what we love, we don't know we can fight. But I believe God has built us all for a fight. And uh, I'll tell you, my very first fight, I was in the ki in kindergarten and uh, I fought a 12th grader. I mean, a second grader. <laughs> I'm short, so he seemed really tall. So I remember we were in my front yard and uh, it happened real fast. You know, he he pulled me down. He had I guess he had a pretty good ground game, threw me to the ground and starts punching me and I'm blocking his punches. But as quick I mean, he should have pinned my arms too, but he didn't do that. But as quick as he was doing that, I don't know what happened. Obviously, I had some ground game, too. And so I flipped him over and I just started tenderizing his little face with my little fist. And as I was doing that, I'm watching, you know, it's like one of those slow motion movies. All my brothers and sisters, friends, they're all cheering me on. I'm like, oh, OK, this is a good thing, I guess. You know, I'm in kinder. What do I know? And I don't even know if I can spell my name by then. But then out of nowhere, I hear this woman yelling at me. And it's 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 this dude's grandmother. All I know is I've never met my grandparents, but I know Meemaws, Bims, Grandmas, all these different names you have for them. You don't mess with them. And especially not their grandkids. And I'm on top of him full mount, you know, tenderizing his poor little face. And man, I'll tell you, to be honest, she was a little older. She looked like Jesus in wrinkly skin from where I was. <laughs> Terrified, I ran. And you know what? The very next day, he and I were best friends again. I don't even think we remember what we fought about. You know, nobody really won. Isn't that, isn't that funny? But now in the I'll tell you this, there is another story about another famous pastor uh, who got in a fight, not Pastor Tim, by the way, the famous pastors have gotten to fights, just so you know that. Um, so his name's Eugene Peterson. If you've ever read a paraphrase of the Bible called The Message, he actually wrote that. And he's wrote many different books uh, before he passed away recently. And uh, he wrote this book called The Pastor. And in there, he talks about how he was bullied by a kid named Garrison Johns. And every single day, this kid would beat him up, take his lunch money. But one day, one day, he caught Garrison Johns. Well, Garrison Johns caught him, but he was like with seven or eight of his boys behind him. And that day, he decided, I'm going to bow up. I'm going to stand up to Garrison Johns. 
And he started to tussle with him and he threw Garrison Johns to the ground and he realized he was stronger than him. And he full mounted him, starts hitting him. And then this is what he says. I said to Garrison, say, uncle, for those of you who are younger, that means give up. <laughs> he wouldn't say it. I hit him again. More blood, more cheering. Now the audience was bringing the best out of me. And then my Christian training reasserted itself. This is where it gets interesting. He said, I said, say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. <laughs> and he said it. <laughs> Garrison Johns was my first convert to Jesus Christ. <laughs> is that not how to win a fight? <laughs> so let's turn to James chapter four. Let me just tell you something. James holds no punches. He's looking deep into our eyes and he's being very honest. And he starts with chapter four, verse one. And this is what he says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Why y'all arguing? Why y'all fighting? Why are you warring with one another? Don't they come from desires that battle within you? James is telling us there's a reason that you and I don't know how to fight the right way. We fight the wrong way often. And uh, we, don't, we don't do things the way God wants us to do. He says it's because of our evil desires. I remember when I was a kid and I, or when my kids were born, I remember, and they were so beautiful and perfect. And, and, and then they got older. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're sinners. <laughs> they need help. Lord, help me now. Truth is, we're all sinners. And so we need Jesus to be able to fight righteously. And so what I want to do today is I want to show you four ways to fight, not just the right way, but to fight righteously, to fight God's way. So let's jump right into it. Number one, I should fight unselfishly. I should fight unselfishly. Truth is, we're all kind of selfish. It's just our natural human te uh, tendencies to be selfish people. And James says that's part of the reason why we argue all the time. These selfish desires, these evil desires, you know, they make us fight unrighteously, ungodly. And he goes on to say this in verse two. You desire, by the way, that word desire, it literally translates as lust. You want something that's not good for you. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. And I know what some of you are like, I don't kill. I must be good. Well, I'll tell you this. Have you ever given looks that kill? <laughs> tell me you haven't looked at your kids like, I'm going to take you. You know, or, or maybe to your spouse or the, I don't know, somebody says you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Verse three, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So because we don't get what we want, we do stuff we shouldn't do. And even though I really believe most people aren't trying to commit evil acts, they commit selfish acts that eventually lead to violence and they hurt people that they love and people that are strangers. This is exactly what Paul is telling us in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 to 25. You can write that down, but he, I'm going to paraphrase it. He essentially says this, the things that I do, I don't want to do, but the things that I do do, I probably shouldn't have said it like that, but the things that I do are the things that I don't want to do. And he says, why is it? He says, am I just messed up? Is it my family? Is it the way I've been trained? He says, no, it's this shell that I live in. It's my flesh. It wants bad stuff. It wants stuff that's not healthy for me. But he said, but it's not my heart. The day you made a commitment to follow Jesus, you were given a new heart. So your heart's good, but your flesh, it's always fighting you. In fact, in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, very first family of all creation, Adam and Eve, they have two kids, Cain and Abel. And Cain is a guy that works in the garden, plants stuff. 
Abel's a hunter, gatherer, fisher. And uh, the two brothers, I don't know if there was competition amongst them. There's always kind of some sibling rivalry, I'm sure. But the day comes for them to bring their offerings to the Lord, which is pretty standard. And uh, Cain brings some stuff, gives it to the Lord, some stuff from, his, from, the, from some of his vegetables. And Abel goes on to give him his best and his first fruits. You know, kind of like when we give our tithes and offering, we give the first fruits, not the first, last dollar, the very first, because that's what, we, what God requires. And well, the Bible says that God accepts Abel's offering, but he rejects Cain's offering. And Cain is furious. He's frustrated. He's angry. He feels like God is being unfair. He's angry at his brother, angry at his dad, angry at the world. He feels like a victim. And this is what the Lord says to him in Genesis chapter four, verse six. <clears throat> then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. And I want you to underline that. Sin is crouching at your door. Think about that for a moment. What kind of animal crouches when it's going to attack its prey? It's almost like it's a lion. It desires. Circle that word desires. It's there again. In the Hebrew, that desire is like a longing to have something. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. The Lord is trying to warn Cain that if he didn't get a hold of a sin problem, in this case, it was anger and jealousy that it would overtake and it would cause to do something that he would deeply regret for the rest of his life. God is trying to help Cain identify who the enemy was that he was fighting. I think it's so important, church family, that we are able to identify who the enemy is that we are fighting in our life, the very thing that's causing the pain in our life. And I'll tell you very clearly, it is not a person, it's sin. That's why anytime my wife and I are having a dispute or my wife and I are having a difference of opinion, in other words, when she's not agreeing with me, um, <clears throat> I have to remember and I look her in the eyes and I say this to myself, you are not my enemy. You are not my enemy. And I say that over and over. And for those of you who are married today, would you look at your spouse and say, you are not my enemy? Ooh, and only a few of y'all said it. I need to pray right now. There is only one enemy church family and he comes to steal, kill and destroy. And at the end of the day, that's what Cain felt to understand. You may have read this story before. You may have known what he did, but he was so angry that he killed his own brother. First murder that we see in the Bible in human history happens because of his selfish motives and he was mad. And the truth of the matter is Cain was fighting the wrong fight. He was pointing the, the gun at the wrong person. His enemy was not his brother. It was Satan. That's why one of the things I do when my wife and I are in a dispute, boy, do we argue a lot or am I just mentioning? Anyway, but, but one of the things I always ask myself is, is this about me? Is this about me proving her wrong? Is it about my motives? Is this argument going to bring God glory? That's one of the things you got to ask yourself. Is what we're doing right now, is what I'm doing bringing God glory? Because if it's not, then it's wrapped up in pride. And we're going to see here in a moment, James tells us that God opposes the proud. It's not enough. We don't have time to argue. That's what I always, my wife and I understand this. We have a mission to reach people for Jesus. We can't stop and spin our wheels on useless conversation. We've got to focus on the goal. That's why Ephesians even tells us. In Ephesians 4, 26, it says this. In your anger, do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Cain didn't grasp this. See, there's nothing wrong with being angry at the right things. When it's angry for injustice in the world, poverty, homelessness, those are good things to be angry about. But Cain was angry about his own selfish motives. And when we're wrapped up in our own self and we use that anger, it's sinful, it's wrong. And by the way, he also says, don't go to bed angry. Second way to fight righteously is this. I should be passionate about God's desires. I should be passionate about God's desires. So you need to hold on to your seat because James is about to hit us real good. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity against God? By the way, this doesn't mean you can't have friends who aren't Christians. We have friends that are in our neighborhood that are not Christians. But I'll tell you what this does mean. We can't live like them. We can't live in the same culture. We can't sin like them. We have to live for God because, therefore, anyone who chooses to be friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously, I want you to circle that, jealously, longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us. But he gives us more grace. Thank you, Jesus. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Just for a moment, if you don't hear anything today, I want you to hear this church family. What is God passionate about? He's passionate about you. He created this world for you to give him glory. Think about it. When we talk about Jesus going to the cross, what do we call it? We call it the passion of the Christ. He created this world for you. He loves you. He created the very spirit that is within you. And it's not the, the kind of jealousy that Jesus has for you. It's not an insecure, bitter, or immature. It's a longing to take care of his kids and to love his kids. God's desire, and what I love about it is not to take grace back from us, but when we're knuckleheads, to give us more grace. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I'll tell you this. Oh, boy, here goes my wife again. She's not going to like this. Keep throwing her under the bus. But the truth is, when we have disputes, you know, one of the first things I'm like, I'm cutting the love train off. You look at me wrong. You talk to me wrong. No more back rubs. <laughs> no more foot rubs. And don't ask me to feed those cats. I'll let them starve. Just saying, I got no problems with that, especially that fat one. But, the, the, but this is the thing. It's the thing, church family. I don't know, number one, why y'all are judging me, because you're just like me. You're selfish. And those of you who are engaged or just newly married, you look at that pretty person in front of you. They're selfish. We're all selfish. And that's why we need Jesus. In fact, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Praise God. God is not like us. He does not withhold grace. The more we mess up, in fact, the more we see evidence of his grace. In fact, in the New Testament, the word grace, which is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, it simply means joy, favor, pleasure. It's God's grace to you. So real quick, if you've got your listening guide, I want to go through a few things that grace is. Number one, grace is second chances. God gives us chance after chance. Number two, grace is free. You did nothing to earn grace, and yet God gives it to you. Number three, grace is God's favor. Love that, because it gives you an image of Satan trying to bully me, and God's got my back. He's right there for each and every one of you. And finally, 
Grace is discipline. I know that sounds odd, but just hold on to for a moment. I know when we think we give someone grace, well, we can let them go. No, you still got to give them consequences. That's a good thing. That's called grace-based discipline. Think about this for a moment. Our kids mess up. Do we forgive them? You bet we forgive them. Do we love them? You bet. But there's consequences. And that's an important part of grace. You know, and if you don't believe me, Hebrews 12, 6, you can write this down. It says, those who the Lord loves, he disciplines and scourges. That means he whoops that butt. He gets on it. He straightens us out when we're not doing what he's called us to do. Here's a few things that grace is not. Grace is not a free pass to keep sinning. You know, in fact, that makes the grace of God cheap. And that grace costs God everything. Grace does not mean you have to suffer abuse. If you're in an abusive relationship, a toxic relationship right now, and, and he or she is hurting you, she or he needs to get help. If you're in a marriage, you need to get help. You need to sleep on the couch till you get better. And if you're not married and he or she is abusing you, you need to get out of that relationship. That's not God's best for you by far. Grace means we demonstrate grace. We forgive them, but we don't have to stay in a toxic relationship. Number three, grace is undeserved or grace is not deserved. We don't deserve grace, but God gives it freely. That's what Romans 5, 8 says. Grace means all of your mistakes are not just in vain or the cause of your shame, but they are now a part of who you are for the better. They are God's story in you. His story of his incredible love for each and every one of you. You are liberated. You are free. You have been redeemed. And yet now your mistakes are further proof of the existence of God in your life. They expose the very fingerprints of God's grace in you. You don't have to run from your past or your pain. You don't have to live with regret because now when you look back on all those places that you've been raised from, you are reminded that God is on your side. Isn't that good news, church family? That's good. The day you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible tells us that you were covered by his grace. And that's why in 1 John or in John 1.14, it says that Jesus came full of grace and truth. But remember, it also says, James tells us that God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. And the word humility simply means we go low, God goes high. The less of us and the more of God we get, the more he will lift us up. And recently, uh, there was the NBA draft. And I don't know if you guys know, but about 60 people are entered into the NBA each year. Um, hundreds, I don't know how, what the numbers are, but a lot of people from all over the world try to get in. But only 60 are given this exclusive right to enter through the draft. And there's two rounds. There's the first round and the second round. And this year, um, the first draft, first draft pick, the very first overall, was a young man named Zion Williamson. He's 18 years old. The kid is 285 pounds, six foot seven, can jump 45 inches high. Um, I'm telling you, you go number one, you're promised or guaranteed you can at least make about $45 million in your NBA contract. He's already been given a $100 million contract by Nike. And there's several other millions of dollars. He's 18 years old. I want you to hear his response after he's been drafted. This is a small piece of the interview. And Zion, I know you said it, you didn't believe that you would be here in this moment. When did that belief change? Was it shaking the commissioner's hand and officially being the pick? Yeah. I don't even see him real. I just shook his hand. I dreamed about this since I was four. 
and for it to actually happen. I just thank God for it. Man, I wish you could hear the rest of the interview. He goes on to say all of the thanks he gives to his mother for all the sacrifices that she made to get him where he is today. This young man understands what humility is. And if you see that first round, those first two guys, Morant and uh, RJ, RJ Barrett, they're all so humble and they realize where they've come from. Humility makes people who are good, great. Humility is a characteristic that the Bible tells us it doesn't just happen. You have to do it every single day. In fact, if you look at 1 Peter 5, 5, it says it like this. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. That big dude right there, I'll tell you what, if I was 6'7", if you were 6'7", and you jumped out of the gym, I'd be like, look at me. You know, we'd all be so proud. This guy's so humble. It doesn't happen by accident. He's intentional. Every day you got to put on that coat of humility, which brings us to our third way of fighting righteously. I should let God work his will in me. Let God work his will in you. And simply it says this in verse seven of James chapter four, it says, submit yourselves then to God. Whoo, that word submission has some bad connotations. It's very negative in our world today. When people think of the word submission, they think of, oh, I got to give control to somebody. In fact, we're probably on the other side. We're more like control freaks. We don't want nobody telling us what to do. In fact, the word submission is a military term. It, 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 it uh, defines uh, ranking. And it simply says that you are subordinate to an authority. And that authority in our case is Jesus. So where I get to deal with the word submission a whole lot as a, a pastor is I get to talk to um, people often about, you know, in marriage, I get to tell them, hey, you know what? We talk about roles in marriage and we go to passages like Ephesians chapter five, verses 21 through 33. And it says this, it starts out verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's a great verse. Oh, we're right here. You submit to me. I submit to you. Sounds good. But then the very next verse, when it talks about roles of marriage, it goes to a wife and it says, wives, submit yourself to your own husband as you do to the Lord. And boy, do I get some funny looks when I read that. Because the truth is, but let me tell you this. This is a difficult passage, but I want you to know this. Submission, let me, let me tell you, submission is not authority, control, or power. Submission is trust. You trust God's order. You trust God's process. You trust that God knows what he's doing. And that's the whole part of it. It's like creation. Think about this for a moment. In the beginning of the world, God doesn't create um, plants before he creates the sun or the water. God doesn't create humans before he creates land. Because there's an order in which God creates. And if you take those steps out of order, you get chaos and death. And it's the same way with us. God has simply created an order. It has nothing to do with who's bigger or more powerful or stronger or smarter. It simply has to do with trusting the process. That kid, Zion Williamson, at the age of nine years old, they were waking him up at 5 a.m. to do basketball drills. Little did he know nine years later, his life would change because he trusted the process. And I think that's what, if you leave here with anything about submission, trust that God knows what he's doing. Trust the process, church family. And by the way, for men, it doesn't mean we can lord over women. In fact, the next part of the passage says that we are to give our entire lives for them as Christ died for the bride. And we're to follow Jesus so closely that they don't see us because they're following Jesus. Because we're right up on his heels and we're sacrificing all that we are to make them the best version that God has created your wife to be. 
When we talk about the will of God, I love what Philippians 2, 12 through 15, it says it like this. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God, underline that, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose, not ours, to do everything, with, do everything without grumbling or arguing, so don't whine, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault and a warped and crooked generation. <clears throat> then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. I love that. Because the truth is, is that's who Christ calls each and every one of us to be. To be humble, to be submissive to his will so that he can work in us and do his good work for us that we might give him glory. Which brings us to our last way to fight righteously. I should say no to the devil. Say no to the devil. Look at your neighbor and say, say no to the devil. Ooh, some of y'all were serious. That's good. All right, James goes on to say it like this. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That word resist, it actually means to stand firm, to fight. He says, resist the devil. In fact, in Ephesians chapter six, when it talks about standing firm in, the, in God in the body of armor, this is the same type of word. And he will flee from you. So if you fight him in the name of Jesus, he's got to run because he's weak and he's under your feet. And it says in verse eight, come near to God and he will come near to you. I love that verse. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. I told you, James, this is not nice But what he's about this, but he's honest. But what he's saying is, why the washing of our hands? Because this is how we do evil acts. This is how we do stuff. My son, my son, he plays ball all day, and he comes in just stinking. And I'm like, dude, go take a shower. He's like, I already did this month. I'm like, but that's how we are with God sometimes. God's like, you need to get clean. You need to confess your sins. We're like, I already did it this month. That's not what he's saying. He says, wash your hands, you sinner, and purify your hearts. You double-minded, grieve, mourn, and well. Get your heart right. Don't just go through the motions. Get your heart right with him. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. I don't think, I don't know, and I could be wrong, but I think a lot of us, we don't fight the right way. We think when we come to Satan, we got to go to blows with them. That's not necessarily the plan. I think sometimes that we try to do that and we think, well, I can go to this party and I can, I can be with these friends because I know I'm a Christian and I read my Bible and I fasted and prayed today so I can go party. Or some people will say, I'll go to the club because I'm not like everybody else and I know I'm a follower of Jesus or I'll go to that place where I'll do that thing because I know I'm okay you hang around sin long enough, you're going to fall into sin. You go to a donut shop, eventually you're going to eat a donut. Probably a kolache too with cheese. Just saying. Adam and Eve are living proof of this concept. Imagine how different our situation would be had they fleed from sin. Had they run. Had they fought. James is trying to warn you and I that if we hang around sin long enough, It'll eventually get us. We don't fight the enemy in Jesus' name. And he can tell you firsthand because he was with Judas. Judas was one of the 12 disciples. He walked with Jesus. He was there with Jesus. He saw Jesus do miracles. And yet he fell into temptation because he was unwilling to guard or to run from sin. Why Amos 5.14, I like the way it says, it says, do what is good and run from evil so that you may live. And I believe, church family, there's people here today. You need to get out of that situation. 
You need to get out of that relationship. You need to run. You need to get away from whatever it is that's tearing you down from those people. Just like Joseph in the Bible, there's a story about a guy named Joseph who had a coat of many colors and he's living in a guy named Potiphar's uh, house and, and he's an e Egyptian official and he would eventually go to be really like a ruler of Egypt by the blessing of Pharaoh because of the blessing that God had given him. While he's in Potiphar's house, his wife comes at him and tries to get with him. He's a good looking guy, been working out in the cornfields. I don't know, but, but he looks good. And she tries to chase him down. When she comes at him, that dude runs so fast, she grabs his coat and rips it off him. Yeah, just a side note, in the ancient world, they didn't wear a whole lot of clothes under there. <laughs> but I think some of us need to learn from that. We need to get away from the sin that's pulling us down. So today I've given you four ways to fight righteously, church family. Number one, be passionate about what God desires. Number two, let God work his will in you. Don't worry about what the world's doing. Submit to God. Submit to his order, his process, and he will bless you. Number three, let God work his will in you. Um, number four, say no to the devil. Say no to the devil. Say no to that sin in your life. Run from that sin. So I want to ask you one final question. Who or what do I need to start or stop fighting? Is there a fight you're in right now and you're like, I think I'm fighting the wrong person? Go make things right. Ask for forgiveness. Is there someone who's doing something wrong to you and you need to bring the fight to them and say, no more. I'm not going to let you do this thing to me anymore. And if that's you, stand up in Jesus' name. You've got to take a stand. I want you to fill that out. You know, I want to tell you about a fight we've been in. Um, Last month, about a year ago, as many of you know, my little girl, um, Zoe, here's a picture of her right here in her last recital. She's eight years old. And uh, she became medically ill. We didn't know what was happening. Felt like a version of house, if you, really. Um, it was a conundrum and you guys were praying for her and we finally discovered she had this incurable disease. She was number 15 in the US. And, it was a tough year, church family. Our life was a mess, to be honest. Um, there were most nights I didn't get much sleep. I would come into church, I'd come into work, and it was, it was not good. You know, I'd been up all night with her by the toilet or in the ER, and, and it, it was a tough, tough, tough year for our family. And then you guys started praying, and I'll tell you this. Three weeks ago, her doctor, her oncologist calls, and she says, hey, I'm on vacation, but I need to call you. This is the best phone call I've ever made. And she said, it's been a miracle. Zoe is in remission. <laughs> and I said, and my wife was like, I know we've had thousands of people praying at our church. And she said, well, don't tell them to stop praying because <laughs> we're going to go six more months, cut the dosage down and, and we'll see. But we, we feel like, you know, all the tumors are gone. Of all the kids that had this, she's the only one who responded in this way, in this unique way. In fact, she's going, they're going to do her, their own study on Zoe because of the unique miracle that God did for her through your prayers. See, the truth is, is our life was a mess, but God was fighting for us behind the scenes the entire time. You know, he wasn't absent. He was there. He was fighting. And we were praying and there were nights, I remember 
We were just pleading with God, please. And, and then I remember it came to a point where we said, Lord, please take her home. We're ready. Take her home. And when we finally submitted to his will, it's like he gave it right back to us. And you know, church family, we're no different than y'all. You're the same people. Lord loves you. And he fight for you. Eventually what happened is we made our mess our ministry. You need to let God make your mess your ministry. That pain, that hurt, that overwhelming battle that you just don't feel like you can get through. Let God make it your ministry. Don't be afraid to tell people and let God be glorified through that moment. Because at the end of the day, God is on your side. God is fighting for you. He is coming after you and he is relentless. I want to invite you to stand with me. You know, as we stand here today, this is a reality. Each and every one of us here, we're in some kind of fight. Whether it's for a family member, whether it's with a family member or a thing. But I want you to know, you don't have to fight alone. You can have God on your side. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, all the Bible says you have to do is believe and you will be saved. If you need help this morning and your life is overwhelming, you don't know what to do, the Bible says you call out to God. Maybe that's what you need to do. Call out to God. Use these tools to help you fight righteously. I want to invite you to pray with me now. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you. And as our prayer partners come forward, if there's anyone in this room who needs to be prayed for, I pray they'd run up here and get prayed for. Someone doesn't know you as Lord and Savior. I thank you that you fight for us, Father. Help them to come to know you today. Thank you that you're fighting for families to stay together, Jesus. You're fighting for those who are sick, God. You're fighting for those who are lost, Father. I thank you for that, Jesus. Remind my brothers and sisters, you have not abandoned them. You were right with them. But teach us to fight righteously, Lord. It's in the mighty name of Jesus Christ we all say, amen. Grace, mercy, and peace. God bless you, church family.